podcast where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. Today we're excited to be talking about genre hopping with Rachel Sparks and Sean Manning. Sean is the writer and co-creator of the graphic novels Macbeth, The Red King, Hell, Nebraska, and Interesting Drug. He has written for Star Wars Adventures, Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Blood, Thought Bubble, and more. Sean's work has appeared on BBC Radio 4 as well as in literary magazines and on stage. He lives in Ann Arbor with his wife, their child, and two cats learning to get along. Rachel Sparks is the author of the 2018 novel Resistant, which was a finalist for the Global Thriller Award and the National Indies Excellence Award. After a decade-long career in Austin, Texas, as a transplant specialist, she joined a startup fighting healthcare-acquired infections, thus satisfying her lifelong interest in infectious diseases and the science of human health. After relocating with her husband, daughter, and mother to Asheville, North Carolina, she finally put her first novel onto the page. In her free time, she serves on the board of the Asheville Museum of Science and loves to cook, brew, garden, and spend time with friends and family. Welcome, both of you. I'm so excited to chat with you today. How are you guys doing? Very good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So to start, I'd love if both of you could just give us an overview of what genres you like to write in and why you felt compelled to kind of branch out. A lot of authors really just stick to one thing. So Sean, we can start with you. What does that look like for you when you decided to just dabble in in different genres with your writing? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just kind of a, a circumstance of um, the, the sorts of things that interest me and, and where I start the project and how, um, and how they progress or, 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 you know, what I'm able to interest people in. Uh, my first book, um, my first full-length graphic novel that was published was Interesting Drug, uh, and that was a kind of time travel sci-fi uh, adventure. I enjoy, I enjoy um, science fiction uh, reading watching Petra, but it's not really, um, I wouldn't have expected myself to be a, a sci-fi uh, writer. Um, and, um, you know, later my, my latest big project is um, historical fiction. And uh, that's like the sort of thing that I keep coming back to it. And that's like sort of the niche I'm trying to develop, but at the same time, there's so much else I want to do. I need to write something funny or, um, yeah, or just work on something that is just, just you know, all, all surface, all fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, um, I like, I like jumping around. And how about you, Rachel? What does that look like for you? I know that your first novel was pretty hard science fiction, and now you're kind of writing a historical novel. Mm-hmm. So what has that journey looked like? Well, you know, I, I really didn't think when I first wrote that I would write anything speculative. Um, you know, it was definitely hard science fiction, but it's also set in the future, which was strange for me, because I don't, like that genre <laughs> so I, I would say that maybe my first novel was um was the actual outlier of what stories usually spin around in my head but um it was the most comfortable one to put on the page first and then since then I've kind of moved around to like you said historical fiction but, but with a uh, a dual timeline and stories that are told in parallel um in now and and you know like 200 300 years before um and now, I mean, I've also penned a romance novel, and um, and so I feel like uh, 
maybe they're all a little bit interrelated in that they always have a female heroine and there's usually some science backbone to it because of my background. Um, but the rest is just, yeah, things I'm interested in. I have so much interest in um, historical medicine and how our understanding of healthcare has evolved over the years. And, mm-hmm. you know, what we used to do that was wildly wrong and what we used to do that was somewhat right, even though we didn't know why. Um, and I find myself kind of weaving that into a lot of my stories over and over again, um, you know, like Native American remedies or um, unusual treatments that we did that were horribly wrong and terrible to people. and um, Just all, all the different things that have uh, contributed to the overall knowledge base of medicine now and, and like what we understand about people now. Um, but I, I, I think also it's what about whatever I'm learning about, you know, there was a period of time where I was in my real job, <laughs> uh, writing about a lot of clinical trials that involved, um, you know, involved genome, uh, re- kind of like dabbling with genomes, or I should say regenerative medicine to edit our genomes so that we can cure major diseases. And it just made me think a lot about, um, the way that we think of our genomes as sort of this sacred truth or this, you know, some sort of compelling secret about ourselves, but it's really a flexible growing thing and can always change throughout your life. And um, what we learned when we were kids about our genes has changed a lot since then. So I often get inspired by whatever topic I'm currently (laughs) geeking out over. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I feel like I kind of do that as well. And that your work sometimes just reflects the period of your life that you're in also. And Mm -hmm. so that's, you bring up an interesting point. And it was actually one of the questions that I wrote down and we'll jump to it now, but um, what themes are just present throughout your work that make it feel like there's this connection between them, even when they're not in the same genre. Do you, Rachel, it sounds like you mentioned a couple and Sean, do you have any themes that just kind of emerge in your writing, even if they're not related when it comes to genre? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'll, I'll let Rachel start on that one. Okay. Is there anything else that you see, Rachel? Like with your, the voice that you use or or um, like qualities within your character? Yeah, I think that, you know, usually my female characters obviously are the, as I said, the, the lead and um, the main characters usually are some sort of scientists themselves. And maybe they have always wanted to accomplish something, but something's been, you know, wrenched away from them for some reason, whether it was just fate or someone doing them wrong or, um, you know, the circumstances of life. But um, I think that's been a theme I've seen. And I like to see female characters sort of pull themselves back up from dire circumstances or from um, disappointments and and try to solve it on their own and not always need a hero to help them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the, you know, the medical part of things and solving some sort of strange medical mystery is, is more my, my style. I certainly grew up reading a lot of Michael Crichton, so I'm influenced by him, but his stories tended to take us down the path of how, um, you know, how healthcare was going to do us harm in some way or, or dabbling with science was going to be dangerous. And I, I tend to see a trend in my books to do the reverse where, you know, people come around to the idea of, of a scientific gain um, or mm. a help for humanity even though they're frightened about it. So that's probably a little bit influenced by the world these days. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, the way that your brain works, Rachel, if that's already something that fascinates you, how you just start playing that what if game as you walk Mm -hmm. through your day. 
Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Sean? What does that look like for you? Is there anything where someone would pick up the book and be like, this is Sean Manning? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not in all of my books, but um, I often find myself kind of returning to um, religious themes, whether that is stories centered around, um, you know, the, the stories of religion themselves or how they play out in people's lives. Uh, because I'm not really religious at all myself, but um, I was you know, in a in a faith group in high school. I went to a very religious college. So, um, you know, I know these people, you know, I've done a lot of reading into, you know, especially Christianity, but other religions as well. And I find it fascinating, not, not as in a cynical way. Like I'm not trying to, you know, I, you know, no interest in tearing people down. Beyond that, just the, the stories of, of religion, I also find it really interesting. My second graphic novel, which was also, which is kind of supernatural horror, um, was about kind of the idea of uh, both uh, damnation and redemption in flawed human hands, you know, and the, the ways that that can go wrong. Even, even you know, forgiving someone uh, can have these horrific consequences. And so I deal a lot with religious themes in my work, uh, just because there's so much there. It's directed so much of human history that I just really feel like, you know, there's there's always more to say. Yeah, and I feel like you really do have to write about what what keeps your own head spinning. Like I feel like a lot of my stories as I as I branch out in different uh, worlds of fiction, I think they're still always going to revolve around this idea of misinformation or disinformation or what people are willing to believe or how conspiracies thread. That's always just so fascinating to me. And so I think it is important to keep some of those themes in your book that are always going to interest you. I hate the advice of only write what you know, because I think we also want to write what we want to know, right? We want to explore, we want to learn, but we also can't ignore those little topics that we always find so fascinating. It's funny. I feel like I've I got a little um, bug of that myself, but I'm kind of on the other side of it because I'm kind of I'm an atheist. And so I I find um, and always have found uh, the Greek fables to be really interesting. And then as I learned other religions to to see them all as you know stories that we as tribes told each other to learn lessons from. And um, and so now what I think is fascinating and I think we see this in a lot of other writers work that's getting a lot more attention than you probably get over the last decade and before is exploring those uh, those fables, those tales, those religious um, core stories that don't just belong to Christianity, that are parts of other religions and parts of other um, very small, you know, unique religions, um, as well as the, the the biggest groups that we know and seeing people turn those into new stories but I think mm -hmm. I tend to put like a Greek fable sort of core in, in part of one of my characters or two in most of my books. And um, I was thinking about doing a new one. I think I told Jackie about this by chat the other day, but I was thinking about doing um, a kind of retelling of Psyche and Eros. And the hardest thing is like they get together in the dark and they never see each other. So it's like, that's <laughs> going to be, it's going to be a very hard book to write. I think I should just shelve that one forever. <laughs> But if you pull it off, then it'd be pretty mm -hmm. magnificent. <laughs> so then that kind of leads me to another question that I have, which is there is there a genre that you feel like is more natural for you to write, but you still feel pulled to others? Like, has there been a story where you're like, okay, this this came out really easily. This maybe is what my voice naturally is, but I'm still going to make sure that I'm 
stretching my creative muscles. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't need to go first this time, but absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, there's a story called uh, Yuki and Cyrus Take on the World. And it was about this uh, man and woman who were in this kind of experimental rock band together. And, um, and you know, they had these, you know, gimmicks, but one of them took it very took the gimmicks very seriously and was willing to go much further than the other one. And, um, and, you know, that has, you know, that takes a toll on both their band and their relationship. I like that, that just kind of just came really naturally, the, you know, the, the voice, the characters in a way that I can't really explain. I mean, what even, uh, it was, I mean, it's a slice of life. It was a relationship. It was not the slice of life of any life that I've ever led. But it's really fun. But other than that, I mean, the, the, the sort of groove I find myself like really falling into is just the historical fiction stuff, which just because there are so many things like I'll hear about an event or, or something that happens like, oh, my God, I want to know this story. I want to write this story. And um, and then, of course, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of fun. I think what has always come most naturally to me is that sort of um, science fiction tone where it's a little bit less flowery and a little bit less maybe eloquent than a lot of writers that I admire are. It's, it's a fast paced sort of thing. And, um, and, and really, really, really plot driven more than character driven. And uh, so I, I think that that's probably where I feel the most comfortable, but I, yeah, I do like to flex out of that because I, I like to write well, not just fast or, you know, not just to give people a thrill. Uh, I think that, if I was to just try to crank out a book every nine months, it would be in that area. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. I guess that kind of leads into another thing I had in mind, which is how do you when you're when you're working with multiple genres, how do you just as an author with your routine figure out what to work on? Do you usually have multiple projects going at the same time? Do you make sure one is finished before you move on? What does that process look like? Because I, I imagine that some of them require a different headspace or a different mood to write? I would say that, um, you know, it depends on how much research any of them, them take for me as to whether I have multiples going on at once. But I tend to do some pretty detailed detective work, especially for historical, but also for the science fiction pieces, because I don't want, you know, it, the worst thing for me is a reviewer who, rather than disliking the book, is like, well, factually, that was a little wrong on that piece of science, you know? Um, that one's the, the thing that guts me. So I tend to over-research that and um, it's distracting if I'm working on more than one at once because I've got entire spreadsheets with you know, citations and sources and notes. But uh, as for headspace, you know, I think if I'm writing something that's more romance, yeah, there's definitely a mood you're in sometimes where you don't want to do that. You know, you just had a fight with your husband and you couldn't care less about writing about somebody being in love with another person. <laughs> so I would say um, that that headspace is there. And then when I'm trying to plot out something really exciting, I usually need just a lot of me time where I can just walk around and think it through over and over and over again and um, try to tweak it and change it and tweak it and change it so that it's unexpected. Yeah, I mean, I would uh, I would agree that complexity helps determine whether I'm working on more than one thing or not. Um, I was working on a graphic novel for a while that was very, very research intensive. You know, it was on the Dancing Plague. It was uh, when about 400 people started dancing uh, and couldn't stop. You see me nodding violently, knowing the story. <laughs> yeah, it was very... It was very research intensive and I loved it. 
but I mean, yeah, there's just so much to know and um, just like down to like very little things, you know, it's, you know, 500 some years ago. So getting, you know, the various like very small details of these characters' lives that don't really affect the story, but would absolutely take someone out of the story if they knew that they were wrong. <laughs> but yeah, beyond beyond that, I'm usually working a couple different things at the same time. I know, Rachel, you said there was definitely things that make you not in the mood to follow a particular story. Are there any routines that you do to kind of get into the space to write a story? We did a juggling multiple projects episode a few months back. And so I know some people like light candles, some put on a, you know, a playlist of music that is the right tone for that story. Do either of you do anything like that? I would say that I obsess over a plot in my head for about three to six months. I just, I kind of, you know, go to sleep and wake up in the middle of the night and think about it over and over and over again. And and so um, I think that's my plotting period. And, you know, I'll usually make an outline that's brief, but um, that's become my, my creative zone is to just, um, you know, when I'm on walks or like I say, waking and and going to sleep time, um, I tend to use whatever quiet time I have for that. And then if I'm going to actually sit down and write, yeah, it's nice when no one's around. (laughs) If I can empty the, (laughs) empty the space and try to put on some music that feels like the right mood. Um, I always figure it's kind of like putting together a soundtrack for the book. Like I imagine it as the soundtrack, if I could direct the movie of the book and that's tends to be what I, what I do best writing too. Yeah. I mean, for whatever I'm doing, I like to try to remove myself from, you know, other people needing me, uh, which was harder during uh, lockdown. Uh, you know, I had, you know, I was fortunate to have like a little um, office in our house. But even that is, um, you know, we had just moved in like, our, you know, we just moved into our house a little bit before that. So even having an office was new and then like having to be like, oh, that's that's kind of the only place that I can ever be now when I'm doing my creative work was was a lot to get used to but um yeah as far as what i do for a certain story yeah sometimes i'll have playlists sometimes i'll there's one story it's again like this is one thing like maybe i'll finish someday but um i do i do really like the kind of trappings of it but it is um a dark comedy murder mystery called avant gardens this is this is going to be like just the worst place to live (laughs) but color me intrigued it's just about terrible people. <laughs> um, very, a very specific kind of terrible people. Like if people who would live in a gated community called Avant Gardens. But so, I mean, yeah, it, it varies, you know, from project to project. But I, I like to, yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll have like a loose, loose outline, but then, yeah, have music that goes along with it or just a kind of bizarre one-off routine, like pulling all of the worst people I can find into a story. <laughs> I love that. Well, let us know what, if anything ever comes of it, because that sounds really fun. So are there any genres that you want to try that you haven't yet? Or do you, so are there ones that you're like, okay, one day I want to write horror. One day I want to write this. Is there anything on your, your bucket list for fiction? I've thought a lot about that a lot. We have a lot of friends who write thrillers and, um, and I've never even read that many. I just don't, I don't think I would ever much care for it. But the strange thing to me is that I spent about a decade of my life as a transplant specialist. And part of my job was to look at dead bodies on an almost daily basis. And I've often thought that it would be fun to write sort of a mystery uh, series that's centered around a character that does something similar, because you get to be exposed to so many fascinating stories and ways that people um, you know, pass away. And the mysteries surrounding that, um, sometimes sinister, sometimes just funny. 
that um, right. not that it's funny that people die, but I mean, there are moments that you're just like, wow, I, I just cannot believe that that's the way that it happened. Um, but the experience has always like made me think there's enough stories there to make a uh, kind of a, a mystery series, maybe. Right. That is interesting that you find yourself not drawn to writing thriller after you said that so many of your books are plot based. And, you know, maybe if I just delved into more thriller, I would be like, oh, well, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing already. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think thriller is sometimes the back genre in like how I think Mm -hmm. of books is like there's there's the main genre, which is like sci fi, but then it has thriller elements or it's a mystery, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of thrillery. Whereas pure pure thriller, I kind of think of that standard, maybe detective story. But I think that the umbrella of thriller can encompass so much more. Just really means page turner where the character is trying to achieve something in like a. Yeah, there's so many Venn diagrams of like what (laughs) genres we like. Right. And like I love I love a few writers who do what I call romantic um, suspense or like romantic action. And so it's like it's kick ass. Sorry, I don't know if we can curse on this one. Oh, yeah. But um, we like all these different things that overlap. But these few authors that I really admire write these great action things that are also full of romance. And it's kick ass. You know, it's fun. It's people fighting and, you know, war zones and. Um, there's not as many of those as I would like. I, w- I wouldn't mind contributing to that, but I don't know if I've got the skill set. I have to give it a shot. How about you, Sean? Anything on your, your bucket list? Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking I'd like to write something that's like multi-generational like that in any genre, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get to a place where I'm comfortable adding a bit more scope and uh, and complexity to, you know, like the very large you know like a very large story that the effects are felt through you know some sustained period of time yeah i i I would like to do some sort of very big some epic story and that's a neat challenge and i feel like there's so many different ways to do either like episodic writing these days or like a traditional trilogy or just like a really kind of epic fantasy there's so many ways to pull it off and and to release it to the world now um, you know, some people do these little novellas, but they're all connected. And I think that's that's a great time to be considering something like that. I know one thing on my list is definitely horror. I would like to like write a, you know, just full on horror novel at some point. I don't think I'm quite there yet, but I would like to do that at some point. So do you like watching scary movies, Jackie? I do. I have to yeah. be in the right mood. I have to be in the right, I have, like to be in the right, like analytical mood. Analytical. Like if I'm feeling... Like, because I like to watch them and be like, okay, how did I like to kind of dissect them as I watch them? And if mm. I'm not in that mood, then it's it's not as fun for me. But I do, I do enjoy uh, scary stories. I know you do not, and you like <laughs> to narrate the whole way through them and drive everyone insane. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm sure, I'm sure, there's never been such an example. <laughs> so when yeah. you do analyze them, because apparently I analyze them, but just too loudly for your your style, but when you analyze them, what are you analyzing? What are you taking apart? Like, are you looking for weaknesses in the in the, the plot or in the, the structure of it? Horror books in general and uh, horror movies are really great at just kind of dropping you into the world really quickly. And mm-hmm. so I think watching them for an eye, you know, with an eye for world building, they're mm-hmm. also not that character driven. Like often you like you're scared for the person, but you're not like overwhelmingly attached to them sometimes. Yeah. And so I think it's neat to see how do you build this world where where you are really attached to their fate, but it's not necessarily told in the same way that mm-hmm. a character-driven story would be. Um, I recently saw, have you guys seen the um, the Quiet Place 
Now I really want to watch that. Yeah, yeah. So it was a story that it, it came out a couple years ago, and I think there's a sequel, but it was just really fascinating to me because the whole thing, it's about these monsters that basically attack based on sound. And so it follows this family that has basically you know, discovered how to live without making much sound. So they've built like sand trails that they walk on in bare feet. But just the level of suspense in that movie, because it was kind of like that walking into the basement moment, but extended for two hours. And you're just like on your feet watching, you know, and just waiting for the pin to drop because it was almost entirely quiet. And and that was just very fascinating to me. That is really fascinating too, though, um, like the lack of sound, because I feel like so much of suspense with movie making is in the background, right? It's that that build right. up, it's that Jaws theme music. And um, I'm not going to quickly remember without cheating on Google, the movie with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer, but it was kind of like a Hitchcockian style. And one of the things that it was known for was its lack of music. And that hmm. l- left you with no clue as to what was coming, whether it would be good news or bad news around the corner. But it was... Um, it was it added to my terror about it because mm-hmm. there was no there was no foreshadowing through music. So I could see how the the quietness right. is which I find some writers are really good at building that into their writing too. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we can always learn something from from screenwriters, whether that story started on the page or it started, you know, was built for the screen. I think that it's still storytelling. And so it's nice to take those skills and, and see how suspense is made. And I don't remember how we got off on this tangent, but <laughs> sorry. So I guess I, I would love to delve into just for just a little bit to the, you know, the audience building and the marketing side of this. So when you're writing these multiple genres, do you feel like it is going to affect building a readership? Like as an independent author, I know that when you look up writing multiple genres or you talk to people about it, one of the main things you hear is it's going to be really hard to build a fan base. So are there steps that you take to make sure that your stories will connect with those fans you already have? Do you just not care and say whoever enjoys it, enjoys it? What does that look like from your indie author business side of things? Rachel wants you to go first, Sean. Yeah, I think the multi-published author should probably lead on this. (laughs) That's a good question. Um, Yeah, sometimes it is kind of hard to figure out where I fit or, or whether it's people who liked one will like the next. I will say that like, regardless of what genre I'm writing in, my work tends to be uh, a bit voicey. You know, it can be it can be hard to make that jump between, you know, the, the sci-fi book that is, you know, a little bit Doctor Who to the sort of, you know, historical, you know, Shakespeare inspired story of, you know, Macbeth. Although the, the jump from Macbeth to something like the, the Poe parodies um, is, is a little bit, you know, a little bit easier, but I mean, it is a little strange. And I don't know that I have uh, found a way to, you know, completely successfully navigate through that. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of it goes back to what we were talking about before, like making it clear that that your voice is present in all of them, finding those themes that connect um, your writing to the different books and, you know, finding those fans that aren't just there for a specific genre, but they're there because they like your writing style. And and so there's probably going to be some overlap. There's going to be the Venn diagram where there are going to be people that only want to read your sci-fi stuff, but there's going to be those in the middle, which is like the way you tell a story. How about you, Rachel? I know that your uh, other books aren't out yet, but do you have you thought about that? Like, okay, when I come out with a historical fiction, how am I going to navigate that? Yeah, definitely. Um, the the first publicist that I hired, um, you know, I thought that maybe I should be using um, 
a pseudonym and she said, I like your name. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with that unless you're planning to write in different genres, in which case keep one for one and one for the other. Um, so I've often thought that, you know, when I do move to publish the the next few books, I may need to to choose a pseudonym and, and to sort of build a different following. I, my first book, I wanted to write a, a, at least a duology, probably a trilogy, but realized afterwards that I didn't want to stick with the same publisher, which meant that there wasn't any chance that it was going to get published. Um, you know, those next two were. So I started working on other projects, but um I think that with the way that most people read as genre readers, um, we get attached to one author's genre and their voice and, and the style, and we want the same thing and a little bit more of it. And a variation, of course, you know, we don't like people who just replicate their last book, but I think that's a, a very common trait of readers. I wouldn't say it's a problem because I'm one of them and I would hate to, you know, for someone to mock me for not wanting to read. I don't like J.D. Robb, but I like you know, Nora Roberts or used to, mm. um, but the, the genre hopping or like kind of floating between them, I think you definitely are going to lose readers. And so um, whether or not there's people out there that don't stick to one genre, there could be a Jackie's a good example of one who tries out a lot more things than I probably dabble in, but um, in terms of readership, yeah, I think, I, I think it's something um, we're all guilty of and I wouldn't know how to fix it either other yeah. than to, like I say, kind of choose a new pathway and forge along that and know that you may have lost readers, but you'll have to earn new ones. Right. Well, and I, I think of a few big names that come to mind that have definitely written various styles under, um, you know, in different genres, like Neil Gaiman is, is famously known for writing, you know, lots of different, different stories under the speculative fiction umbrella. I think of like Matt Haig recently, who's been blowing up and it's like the Midnight Library is nothing like his vampire story, but he still has these readers that love his voice. And so I think that that it's doable, but also going into it with realistic expectations that you're probably also going to go have to go ahead and find those new readers, too, that are going to like your new story. And hopefully it's just a chance to connect with people that your first story wouldn't have connected with. So I would just love to talk about your process of learning to write in these different genres. This is an indie writer podcast. Do you have any tricks of the trade that you've learned that you would like to pass on for someone who's maybe considering branching out from what they're used to writing? I mean, one thing um, I think of that really helped my humor writing, you know, my wife's grandfather had at one point recommended me this um English author uh, Tom Sharp and like I don't write like Tom Sharp but the way that he uh, was just utterly savage to these characters <laughs> um, it helps uh, me um, loosen up a little and and um, and let you know let go of some of the restraints that I had had about it's like oh is this is this too far is this um, going to alienate people like help me go for it um, and just but just trying to pick apart like what I what I liked about that, or you know, if I'm reading a science fiction story, like what do I like about this, or what haven't I seen? You know, if if something does seem predictable, like why does it seem predictable, and what can you do to get around that? Yeah, I think just just read all the different things that you want to write. Like I think that um, as someone who's been writing more romance, that there are certain genres where readers really expect a certain thing. And deviating from it won't win you any praise. You know, there's there's things that they expect, there's things that they demand. There's many subgenres within obviously most genres, but romance is kind of famous for that. And so you kind of have to respect the tropes. Like they're not considered 
they're not considered bad things. They're considered part and parcel of what people most love about those books. And so I think that um, in the same way that, you know, Sean said, you've got to read, you also kind of have to respect that um, if there's a trend among books and you hate it, I mean, definitely write something else. I get it. <laughs> but if there's a trend uh, that's an overall thing, like, for example, a happy ending, an HEA, you don't want to mess with that because there's there's a lot of, I think, romance readers who will very vociferously call out your book for being not what you're saying it is. If it's a romantic book, it needs to have an HEA and that's that's the way they feel about it. And you mm-hmm. have to respect that. So, um, I mean, personally, I like the HEA, um, but I know that some authors would rather be a little bit more creative about their their closures for their characters. And in that particular genre, it's really not cool. It's it's considered, um, you know, false advertising. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when you enter a genre, you you sometimes have to realize that you're going to be playing within certain guide rails that um, you can get flexible within and people respect you being creative, but to break some core rules ain't cool. Right, right. It's about trust with that reader when they go to pick up that book. And mm-hmm. for those that don't know, we did an awesome episode on romance tropes a couple weeks ago. <laughs> That, that recently published and we, ha- we just talked through all of them and it is, it's so much information. So check that out if you want to talk about romance tropes and the do's and the don'ts and how, how you flex those creative muscles. Love it. Like within awesome. you know, being respectful of those. And then also what tropes mm-hmm. need to die because they're harmful. So there's yes. like a lot of that too. Yeah. Amen. So um, before we jump off, I'd love to give you both a chance to to let us know what you're up to, how to keep up with you, where to find you, if you have anything you'd like to plug. I know Sean had an exciting announcement to definitely share. So Sean, why don't you just let us know what you're working on now and how people can keep up with what you're doing? Uh, yeah, what I'm working on right now mostly is uh, I rather unexpectedly uh, just bought a bookstore. (laughs) I uh, will be opening a book suite in Ann Arbor in August. Um, That's a book suite like honey. And yeah, you can keep up with uh, the ongoing adventures of my new shop at uh, Shop Book Suite on Twitter and Facebook. Shop Book Suite will also be the URL. It is not up yet, but probably it will be by the time this uh, airs. Uh, and then my personal pages are, um, I'm at Faster Than Sean on all the socials, and my website is seanmanning.com. Well, first, congratulations to Sean. That's super cool. <laughs> I, to be honest, no, I don't have that much exciting news. I've been having to do, um, you know, other gigs, <laughs> other jobs for a while now. So most of my writing has been, um, you know, in querying phases or just just wrote it for me. But I goof around a lot on Twitter at um, Sparky, the author on Twitter is my handle. And then my um, own homepage is rachelsparks.com. And my name is spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. So yeah, hopefully I'll have some better news next time I'm on. But (laughs) right now I'm mostly writing to amuse myself and trying to read here and there. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.